Hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. Now in this episode of our podcast, we're continuing on in a series of sermons where we're talking about what's next for us all as we continue to live through this worldwide pandemic. But the truth of the matter is nobody can tell you exactly what's next for you or for our world because nobody knows for sure. Instead, it's going to be the choices that you're going to make and that I'm going to make and that we'll all make that will really shape what our new reality is going to be like. So that's really what we've been talking about at Melbourne Heights recently. We've been talking about the choices that we're going to make and how they'll shape our new normal. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the choices that we're going to make revolving around our relationship with money. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what's next for us all as we continue to live through this worldwide pandemic. And we all want to know what's next because we all know that our lives are going to be different after the coronavirus. There's just no way that a novel virus that has infected over 6 million people across the globe and contributed to the deaths of more than 400,000 people wouldn't change our lives forever. We just don't know how much the coronavirus is going to affect our lives going forward. So we all want to know what's next. But like I've told you every week so far during the sermon series, I'm not a fortune teller, and I don't have a crystal ball that I can look into that's going to show me exactly what the future holds. And nobody else does either. So no one knows exactly how the coronavirus will affect our lives as we enter into our new normal. Nobody knows exactly what's next for us or for the world that we live in. And there's a reason for that. No one can tell you exactly what's next for us because God gave us all free will. So it's the choices that you're going to make and I'm going to make in the coming days and weeks and months and possibly even years that will shape what our new normal is like. So that's really what we've been talking about at Melbourne Heights over the last few weeks. We've been talking about the choices that I'm going to make and that you're going to make that will shape our new normal. And there's no question, no question that some of the biggest choices that we're going to have to make as we continue to live through this worldwide pandemic are going to revolve around our relationship with money. Now, before the coronavirus began to spread across the United States, there was no denying that our economy was booming. In February of this year, just a few short months ago, our unemployment rate was 3.5%, the lowest it had been since 1969, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average was on the verge of reaching 30,000 points for the first time in history. But all of that came crashing down almost overnight. By the time that the first stay-at-home orders were lifted at the end of April, 36.5 million Americans had lost their jobs and the unemployment rate skyrocketed to 14.4%, the highest they've been since 1940, while the Dow Jones plummeted, bottoming out at 18,213 points in the middle of March. And although we've had a little bit better economic news over the last few weeks, as our economy gained 2.5 million jobs in May and the stock market was able to climb back up, the the economic impact of the coronavirus... It's opened a lot of people's eyes to how poorly we managed our money in the past. I mean, let's just take a minute right now and discuss what our relationship with money was like before the coronavirus outbreak ever happened. And I think that we'll all see that our old normal, well, it wasn't very good. 
In February of this year, while our economy was still booming, CNBC reported that consumer debt in the United States surpassed $14 trillion. Now, consumer debt consists of personal debts that we owe as a result of purchasing goods that we use for individual or household consumption. So, consumer debt includes things like our credit card debt, our student loans, our car payments, and yes, our mortgages too. And we as Americans have over $14 trillion worth of it. That's trillion with a T. And I know that that number is just too big for any of us to really comprehend. So let's take a second to break it down. Americans owe $14 trillion, and there are roughly 330 million Americans. So for us to have over $14 trillion worth of consumer debt, that means that the average American has over $40,000 worth of debt. And that's per person. So a typical family of three is going to have $120,000 of debt, and the typical family of five would be over $200,000 in debt. And what does that debt actually look like? Well, the average American has a credit card balance of $6,200. But here's the kicker for you. That, the average American has four credit cards. So that means that the typical American has almost $25,000 worth of credit card debt. And that's just on credit cards. Let's take a second to talk about how much money we owe on our cars. Out of the $14 trillion worth of consumer debt that our nation has, car loans make up $1.2 trillion worth of it. And here's what that looks like for the average person. For the average person who bought a new car the last time that you visited a car lot, well, your typical monthly payment is $554. And if you went out and you bought a used car the last time around, then your average payment is $391. But that's every month. And the typical term for an auto loan is now 63 months. That means that the average American is paying between $400 and $600 for their car every single month for more than five years. And by the time that we make the payments that we owe on our credit cards, our cars, our student loans, and our mortgages each month, most of us, we don't have much money left over to save. That means that half of all Americans, half of all Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And that number doesn't change too drastically based on a person's income either. One out of every three people earning between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year, and 25% of people who earn over $150,000 a year, report that they are still living paycheck to paycheck. And what that means is that if the average American has an emergency that costs them over $1,000, like a trip to the ER or having your car break down, 59% of us, 59% of us would have to borrow that money from a credit card company, a bank, or a friend. Now, financial experts recommend that we all have enough money saved up in an emergency fund to cover between three and six months worth of our expenses. And the Bureau of Labor Statistics tells us that the average household spends roughly $3,500 a month on the essentials, like housing and food and health care and transportation. So the typical American family should have an emergency fund of $21,000, but 59% of us don't even have $1,000 in savings. Now, I know that I have just thrown out a whole bunch of numbers and statistics at you, and I'm sure that it has been at least a little overwhelming for you, but I did that for a reason. I want you to understand that we as Americans haven't had the best relationship with money in the past. 
And that all has come to a head during this pandemic. Remember, most Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So when 36.5 million people lost their jobs, many of them didn't have any money to fall back on. So without the government stepping in and increasing unemployment benefits and sending out $1,200 stimulus checks, a lot of people would have been bankrupt. A lot of people wouldn't have been able to provide for their families. A lot of people wouldn't have been able to take care of themselves. The truth is, we've seen how dire the financial crisis has been for many Americans through our relationship with the Cabbage Patch House here. Before the coronavirus hit, the Cabbage Patch House helped provide food for about 10 families each month. But just in April, the Cabbage Patch House helped over 50 families. That's an extra 40 families that didn't have enough money to put food on their tables. And without the generosity of people like you who have given to support the Cabbage Patch House, those families all would have gone hungry. So right now, right now as we're all trying to figure out what our lives are going to be like and what our world is going to look like after this pandemic, one of the biggest choices that we're going to have to make is about our relationship with money. And here's what you're going to have to decide. Do you want your relationship with money to be an asset or a liability? Do you want your relationship with money to be an asset or a liability? Now, here's what I mean. For most of us in the past, our relationship with money, it's been a liability. We spent more money than we made, so we racked up a whole lot of debt along the way. And we were told that that's just the way the world works. You'll always have a car payment or student loan debts. So when a true crisis came, we were all in trouble. When the coronavirus came and our companies closed down, we lost our ability to provide for ourselves and for our families. But here's the truth. The truth is it doesn't have to be that way. If you change your relationship with money, then your money can become an asset for you in the future. If you change your relationship with money, then you can get out of debt. If you change your relationship with money, then you can build up an emergency fund that will cover three to six months worth of your family's expenses. And if you change your relationship with money, you won't have to worry when the economy takes a turn for the worse. If you change your relationship with money, you can make sure that you and that your family are going to be taken care of. And I can tell you that you can do that because over the last five years, my family has changed our relationship with money. At the beginning of 2015, my family was up to our eyeballs in debt. We had just bought a home a couple of years earlier, so we had a great big 30-year mortgage payment that was hanging over our heads. We had also bought two brand new cars within the last three years, so we still owed around $30,000 on them combined. And we were still slowly paying down the balance on a Home Depot credit card that we opened up because we needed to put new flooring into the house that we had bought a few years earlier, too. And what that meant for us is that every single month, I had to sit down to write a check out to our bank for over $1,000 to cover our mortgage payment. And that meant that every month, I had to sit down and pay Toyota around $750 for the two cars that we had bought from them. And that meant that every month I was throwing any extra money that I could find at the Home Depot credit card bill that we had, just trying to make that debt go away. That amounted 
to about $2,000 a month coming out of my pocket before I bought any groceries. That amounted to about $2,000 a month coming out of my pocket before I put any gas into my car. That amounted to about $2,000 a month coming out of my pocket before we could buy our three-year-old a single new toy or a new outfit. That amounted to about $2,000 coming out of my pocket every month before we spent a dime on anything else. So in January of 2015, my wife and I decided to follow some wisdom from the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs, it's found in the Old Testament, and it's part of a section that we refer to as wisdom literature, right along with books like Psalms and Ecclesiastes. So the book of Proverbs, it's going to share wisdom with us that has been distilled from life experience. And it's going to share this wisdom with us in compact, memorable sayings. After all, that's exactly what a proverb is. A proverb is a life lesson that's shared in a short, memorable saying. And in Proverbs chapter 6, we find a proverb about debt. So I want to take a look at Proverbs chapter 6 with you, and we're going to start reading in verse 1. Here's what it says. My son, if you guarantee a loan for your neighbor or shake hands in agreement with a stranger, you will be trapped by your words. You will be caught by your own words. So this proverb, it starts out with a very clear warning for us about debt. It says that being in debt is like being in a trap. And this proverb is exactly right. I mean, just think about it. What does a trap do? What does a trap do? A trap stops you. A trap holds you in place. A trap keeps you from being free and being able to do what you really want to do. And that's exactly what debt does to us all. Debt stops your money in its tracks and it keeps you there. You can become convinced that you will always have a car payment or that you'll always have a mortgage payment or that you'll always have a student loan payment. And because of all of these payments that you're always going to have, you feel like you can't live the life that you really want to live. You can't give to support the charities and nonprofit organizations that you really want to help. And you can't take those vacations that you really want to take. So debt keeps you from living the life that you want to live. Debt keeps you from living the life that you want to live. So this proverb, it goes on to tell us what we should do about our debt. Let's pick back up in verse 3. Here's what it says. Do this, my son, to get out of it. For you have come under the control of your neighbor. So go, humble yourself, and pester your neighbor. Don't give sleep to your eyes or slumber to your eyelids. Get yourself free like a gazelle from a hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. Now, i got to tell you, I love the mental picture that this proverb gives. It tells you to get yourself free from your debt like a gazelle escaping from a hunter. And when I think of that image, I can't help but think of those nature specials that you can watch on channels like Animal Planet or National Geographic. And you know the ones that I'm talking about, right? You know the ones that I mean. In the clip, you have this poor, unsuspecting gazelle, gazelle that's just standing by a watering hole, getting ready to take a nice long drink. But then, all of a sudden, its ears kind of perk up because it senses that something is, is, is going wrong. And while the gazelle is trying to pinpoint exactly where this threat is coming from, you see a lion come rushing in from the other side of the screen. And now, the chase is on. The lion's going to do everything that she can to catch that gazelle so that she can kill it and then eat it. And that gazelle is going to do everything that it can 
to get away from that lion so that it can stay alive. And that's how we're supposed to feel about death. We are supposed to run from it like a gazelle running from a lion. We're supposed to run from our debt like our life depends on it. And it does. Like I said a minute ago, debt keeps you from living the life that you want to live. So my wife, Ashley, and I made the decision in 2015 to get rid of our debt like our lives depended on it. So we set a budget, and we stuck to that budget. We cut back on as many extravagances as we possibly could, and we took every extra dollar we could find, and we threw it at our debt. We started with our smallest debt, which was what we still owed on our Home Depot card, and we were able to pay that off in the matter of two months. Then we took the money that we had been paying on our Home Depot card every month, and we added that to the payments that we were making on my car payment every month. And in eight months, my car, it was completely paid off. So we took the money that we had been paying on our Home Depot card, and we put that together with the money that we had been paying on my car, and we threw all of that together with the money that we were paying on my wife's car, and we paid off her car in seven months in total. We wiped out over $30,000 worth of consumer debt in less than 15 months. And that extra income allowed us to build up an emergency fund that will cover us for six months worth of our expenses. And we were able to build that up in less than a year. So when the coronavirus outbreak began, when our economy started shutting down and nobody was sure exactly what the future held, I didn't have to panic. I knew that even if I lost my job, that my family would still be taken care of. And here's the thing. I'm not telling you all of this because I'm trying to brag on myself. I'm telling you all of this because I want you to know that what I'm talking about right now is possible for you. I'm a minister and my wife is a teacher, so it's not like we've got some huge extravagant income. And when we started to change our relationship with money, we were actually in worse financial shape than the average American family. Like I said earlier in the sermon, the average American is $40,000 in debt. So my little family of three, we should have been $120,000 in debt. But we were actually closer to being $200,000 in debt. But we paid off our credit cards. We paid off our car, our car loans. And we built up that emergency fund. And that has allowed us to attack our mortgage payment. So I know, I know that you can do it too. I know that you can find a way to get out of debt. I know that you can pay off your credit cards. I know that you can get rid of your student loans. I know that you can be done with car payments forever. I know that you can build up an emergency fund. And I know that your money can be an asset for you instead of a liability. But you, you have to be serious about it. You have to be as serious about changing your relationship with money as a gazelle that is trying to escape from a lion. You have to run from debt like your life depends on it. Because your new normal is going to depend on your relationship with money. So you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose what that relationship is going to look like going forward. And in Luke chapter 14, Jesus gives us a pretty good way to think about this choice. Now Jesus tells this particular parable to encourage everyone around him to really think about what it means to be one of his followers. But this parable, it also works pretty well when it comes to our relationship with money. So here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, 
We'll start reading in verse 28. Here's what Jesus says. If one of you wanted to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost to determine whether you have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation but you couldn't finish the entire tower, all who see it will begin to belittle you. They will say, well, here's the person who began construction and they couldn't complete it. When it comes to your relationship with money, I want you to consider. I want you to consider what your current relationship with money has cost you. Has it cost you peace of mind after the company that you worked for had to lay you off because of the coronavirus? Has it cost you sleep as you've wondered when your unemployment check would finally come through? Has it cost you the opportunity to enjoy spending more time at home with your family because you can't afford to make your next mortgage payment? How much has your current relationship with money cost you? How much? Once you answer that question, then you can decide what you want your new normal to be like. And you can decide if your relationship with money is going to be an asset or a liability going forward. Now, I hope that you'll choose to make your money an asset for you. I know you can do it. I've done it. My family's done it. So I know your relationship with money can be different going forward. But you have to choose. Is your relationship with money going to be an asset or a liability? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the time that we've had together today and the opportunity that we've had to, to think about our relationship with money, God. God, the truth is that we in the United States, we haven't had the healthiest relationship with money in the past. We've racked up more debt than we can afford to have, God. And because of that, when a true crisis hit, our world and our nation was thrown into turmoil. God, only you know the number of families that have struggled to keep food on the table. Only you know the number of families that have struggled to keep the lights turned on and the air conditioner running. And God, you also know that we don't have to live this way. So God, help all of us to see that our lives don't have to be consumed with debt. We can live a different way, and you want us to live a different way. So for those of us in debt right now, God, I pray that you help. You help everyone experiencing that to flee from that debt, to run from it like a gazelle running away from a lion. Because our lives and our future depend on our relationship with money. So God, help us. Help us to change this relationship so that we can keep food on our table, so that we can take care of our families, so that we can take care of ourselves. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for joining us for this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that today's sermon has challenged you to think about your relationship with money. 
I hope it's challenged you to really count the cost and to think if this is the relationship that you want to have with money going forward. Now, next week we're going to be continuing on in the sermon series where we're going to be talking about what's next for us and the choices that we're going to make and how they're going to shape our new normal. Next week we're going to be specifically focused in on our relationship with other people. So tune back in next Sunday about noon as our next episode drops. And as always, if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And I also want to make sure that you know that you don't just have to listen to us on our podcast. You can join us live for worship every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time by visiting us on our church's website. That's mhbclouisville.com slash live. It'll take you straight to our live service. I hope you guys have a great week this week, and we will see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.